I'm Lisa Stone, and you're listening to Parenting Aces. Welcome to season 10 of the Parenting Aces podcast, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and this week we've got kind of a different conversation that we're going to have with someone who comes from the football world of all places, but there are a lot of lessons that translate from his experience playing football to all of our experiences in the world of junior tennis and college tennis and professional tennis. Before I bring Thomas Williams on. However, I want to just go through a couple housekeeping things. First of all, if you would like to watch the video version of this podcast, you can do that on parentingaces.com. You can also do it on the Parenting Aces YouTube channel. And I urge you to do that because Thomas is a very charming man and it would behoove you to watch the video version if you have access to that. If you are listening to the audio version, I want to encourage you to check out the show notes on parentingaces.com regardless, because we'll have some links there for you that'll make it easier for you to access the information that Thomas is going to share with us today. Also, I want to just say a huge thank you to all of you for continuing to support Parenting Aces. We are growing. Our our outreach is there um, through our social channels, through our website, and we couldn't do it without all of you. So thank you for continuing to support us. And if you don't know about this, we do have a Tennis Parents Only group over on Facebook. Only parents, no coaches, no industry people, no people from the USTA or the LTA or Tennis Australia or Tennis Canada. It's strictly parents having conversations about issues that you're facing in real time. And so I encourage you, if you are on Facebook, to come join us over there. And one more thing, if you haven't become a premium member of Parenting Aces yet, please check that out. We've got so many benefits, including discounts on books and videos and events and apps and courses. So please consider checking out our premium membership, which you can find on parentingaces.com. All right. Without further ado, let me bring Thomas Williams on the screen. Hey, Thomas, thanks for joining us. Thank you So, so much for having me. I mentioned that you come from the football world. I didn't mention that you are a Trojan. Given that I'm a Bruin, I'm going to forgive you that for the next hour because my daughter is also a Trojan. So I have not only spent lots of dollars, but also spent lots of time on the USC campus. And it is a beautiful place. So congratulations for having had the opportunity to not only get your education from USC, but also to play football for them and now to be actually teaching USC students. Yeah, you know, and and I forgive you as well for being a Bruin because (laughs) everyone can't be a Trojan. So when you can't be a Trojan, you go across the freeway and you go to UCLA. Um, And fun fact is I'm actually going and taking some classes at UCLA right now um, during the COVID pandemic. So I, I kind of get a chance to wear both hats. And so whoever wins the game at the end of the year, uh, obviously I'll be in the right because I'm half Trojan, half Bruin. Um, but this is this is a really, really in, in pleasurable honor to be able to communicate with you and, and have this discussion using your platform because listening to all the people that you touch and the lives that you change, um, I, I thank you so much. 
Well, thank you for coming on. And and just to give our viewers slash listeners a little bit of background, I mentioned that you played football at USC. You had an injury during your football career that kind of caused you to have to do a lot of soul searching, thinking, what is my life going to be like? Can you talk a little bit about what it means as an athlete to suffer an injury that causes you to have to make such a drastic change? Yeah, it's 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 something I, I I've heard it put a couple of different ways where you know athletes kind of die twice where they die the first time when their career's over and then you know there's the natural death but for me it was it was very difficult and I think like a lot of high performing and, and high achiever athletes you put so much time you put so much of yourself into it where it it literally becomes you 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 walk around. And depending on how you played or how your season's going or, or your recruiting process, I mean, that kind of really determines how you're feeling. And for me, I was, it, I was thrown into football at 14, coming into high school, and it turned from a game to a fun thing that I would just do after school with some of my friends. And then it turned into, hey, you have a chance to go to college and they're going to pay for you to go to college. So you have to dedicate yourself and you need to be pretty good. And I remember thinking to myself, wait, people play football after, after high school. Like they, they, they play football. Cause I didn't, I didn't grow up being, you know, knowledgeable about that. And so when Can I, I interrupt you one second, please. because yeah. I want to just ask you what happened when you realized that all of a sudden it wasn't just a game, but rather a means to something bigger. Did you feel the pressure of that or were you able to just say, you know, okay, this is kind of the logical next step? No. um, And I'll be, you know, I love that question. I'll be completely honest is uh, football stopped being a game when I left in the 12th grade. So the last time I had total fun playing football was to 12th grade in high school. And so once you get to college and then you start to see the production of it where for, for, for us, games went from, you know, 48 minutes to three hours because mm-hmm. there's TV timeouts and you see, you know, the sponsors. I mean, I remember the first time walking into the LA Coliseum and you see sponsors like, you know, these, these beer sponsorships, these real estate, these, in, you know, these insurance huge companies, huge companies. Yeah. And you look around and you're like, oh, this is a production now. And then not just it's a production, you know, from that standpoint, but it's a production of if we don't go to a bowl game at the end of the year, coaches don't get bonuses. Coaches' jobs are on the line. And so it's not just go outside, play catch for three hours, who scores the most amount of points, wins, and everybody goes home. There's a lot riding on it. There's players who are trying to advance to the highest level. And so as far as the pressure is that you for sure feel the pressure because the 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 going to a bowl game the difference between going to a BCS bowl game back then for us was about 15 million dollars that the university would receive so if we went to a top a but, top let's say that game, again hang on let's say that again cuz cuz tennis we don't know about those things i mean that doesn't happen in college tennis 15 million dollars is on the line for one game for one game and you as an 18, 19, 20-year-old young athlete coming into this business of college football, I mean, that's a lot of pressure. 
Yeah, it's a lot of pressure, and and you feel it because you start to see the pr- the pressure from the coaches, the pressure from the university. It's the donors, the boosters. They're starting to come around a little bit more. And again, if you're winning, and luckily, I, I went to USC at a time where we went won 59 games, and I think lost six games. And so it was a great time to be a part of you know the USC Trojan community. And so the boosters were usually pretty happy, and the people who were writing the big donation checks. They were pretty happy. I mean, the stands were filled. It was a really good yeah. time. But you knew that if you want, if you lost one more game, like I remember a year, we didn't know if we were going to go to the Holiday Bowl, which is in San Diego, or the Rose Bowl. And thank God we went to the Rose Bowl that year. But again, that's the difference between $15 million. Because we go to the Rose Bowl, we get a $20 million check for the university. But if we went to the Holiday Bowl, I mean, you're looking anywhere from $1 to $3 million. And mm-hmm. so, which then the bonuses for coaches, but you definitely feel it. Um, but I think in college, what our coach, Pete Carroll, who's now the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks, he did such a great job is he did a great job preparing us for the bigger moments where you come in at 18 years old and they're constantly preaching to you that if you practice at such a high level, high intensity, that when you get to the game, you never feel the pressure. So we never felt the pressure on a big play in the fourth quarter where we were on offense or defense and we needed to do something that was, you know, unthinkable or almost borderline impossible because we had practiced under the same type of scrutiny from the coaches, pressure in practice, um, you know, fans at practice as well. So we never felt it. And I think that that's one of the things that I always appreciated about coach Carroll and the coaching staff is that they put us in the position to practice. Like, Coach Carroll would always have these little games within the game saying, okay, if offense gets five yards on this play, defense has to run for the next 20 minutes. Or defense has to, you know, doesn't get to eat until after the offense eats, you know, when we go into the cafeteria. So there was Mm -hmm. always kind of like a game within the game to let you know that every play at any drop of the dime could be one of the biggest plays in a game. And Mm -hmm. so because he did that, we were – it was – almost second nature that when we were in front of 90,000 people in the stands or millions of people watching on television and it was a critical part of the game, we never felt the pressure because we always practiced in that environment. So funny side story, not really related, but kind of sort of related. When my daughter showed up on campus her first day at USC, she had never been to a football game her entire life. And and her high school football team was pretty good, but she never went to a game. She gets to USC. She is bought in hook, line, and sinker to USC football. It is um, it's an incredible pulling force at, on the campus. And she knew all the players. She knew everything there was to know about Coach Pete Carroll. Um, She was totally enamored by the program. And actually what convinced her to go to USC, because she was deciding between USC and one other university, was she went to see the USC marching band perform. And that was it. She was sold. (laughs) And to this day, she is now 31 years old and she is still an enormous USC football fan, does not miss a game, has season tickets. Well, not during COVID, but prior to COVID and um, is a huge fan. So, I mean, USC football, it's a thing. Yeah, it means a lot. It means a lot. I mean, it's it's a very tight knit culture. And I think over the years, it, we've gotten away from it just because of the the, the sanctions and, and not having as, pres, 
you know, successful seasons. But at one time, it was people from all over the world just wanted to go to USC, not because of the film school, not because of the business school, but because of the football program. And it just tells you, you know, what we were able to accomplish at that time. And then thinking back to it is like, wow, I got to be a part of something so special. Because, you know, as as elite performers, you're kind of constantly being in it that you don't necessarily get a chance to give yourself a pat on the back, that you're not necessarily just kind of walking around with your chest out. You're you're kind of addicted to the process. So looking back at it, being very lucky and fortunate to be a part of that. And let me just say, USC Tennis isn't shabby either. Uh, Your men's tennis team and your women's tennis team have done incredible things. And those who follow professional tennis know Stevie Johnson came through USC men's tennis and has had tremendous success on the tour. He's now a daddy, which makes me so happy for him and his family. But um, yeah, so I mean, USC is a bastion of excellence, not only in the classroom, not only on the football field, but across the spectrum. And so let's kind of transition a little, Thomas, to that injury that sidelined you. Yeah, so it happened uh, October 30th, 2011. I was in Carolina playing with the Carolina Panthers at the time, and we were playing the Minnesota Vikings in a one o'clock game. And it was just a normal day. You wake up, you have your pregame meal, you listen to whoever you're listening to in your headphones, you do your walkthroughs, and it just seems like it was going to be a normal game. And, And I had four tackles in the first quarter, and so I'm thinking I'm going to have a phenomenal game, four tackles in the first quarter times four. I'm going to have 16 tackles. And uh, this was at the time that my contract was going to be coming up at the end of the year. And so I was going to be renegotiating a contract. And usually in the second contract is when you see a little bit more money. And so I was talking with my agent and he was very you know, happy and, and confident that I would get to see a little bit more money instead of the, the rookie salaries that I was playing underneath before. And the first play of the second quarter, I ran into my own teammate and um, we collided. And so my head sat back and for about two and a half minutes, I laid on the ground and I couldn't feel my hands and feet. Mm. And one of the, one of the promises that my mom and I always had to one another, she said, when you're injured on the field, just like stick your thumb up or wave your hand in the air to let me know that you're okay. And so this was in high school. This was in college. This was obviously in the NFL that we had this promise and I couldn't move. And my mom at the time was in California and they were eating lunch at like, um, you know, um, like a yard house or something like that. And so they were watching the game and she said she didn't see me move. And so she was, she was nervous. She was, she was afraid. Chills. I cannot even imagine what she was feeling at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. She was, uh, I mean, we can talk about it now, um, but she was very nervous. And so was I, because one, I'm thinking about, I'm having a heck of a game. Can I just get back in here and like finish this game and thinking that maybe I'll, I just got to stinger a little bit and maybe I'll be able to come back in five or 10 minutes once feeling comes back. And then I went in to see the, uh, they end up carting me off the field. I went in to see, get an x-ray. I got an MRI. And so my game was over that game. And then I tried to come back and play like the next week and the team ended up putting me on injured reserve. Now here's a business part of it is that injured reserve means that your season is over, but you still get paid. So you're still on a team, but your season's over. So there's no more practicing. There's no more games. And then what happens is, is that they bring another player, whether it's off practice squad or off the streets, and they put them in your position because you can only have 53 players on a team uh, at one at any given time. And so my slot was now given to someone else. 
And the only thing you want to do as a player, you don't care about your health. You don't care about your mental well-being. You just want to play. I've worked so hard. And two, I believe that one of my biggest problems was always having my playing time or my career in the hands of someone else. Like, I'm telling you I'm fine. Like, doctors, you're, you guys, okay, I get it. Between the four of you, you guys went to school for 100 years on the neck and on the brain and on the spine. But I've been me for my whole entire life. So I should be able to tell you if I'm okay. And so, uh, you know, because of lawsuits and, you know, sure. responsibility, they said, no, we're just going to, you know, take the baton out of your hand and we're going to pass it to someone else. And so I sat, I sat on the bench watching my team for the rest of that season. And there was about six more games left to go. Um, and to be completely honest with you, that's when I found out that I can't sit still for too long uh, because I'm at home for like two weeks and yeah, you're still making great money, but you don't have anything to do. You're watching the games each week and your teammates are out there making plays and having so much fun. And to me, I was thinking, well, I got to do something. There's got to be something that I can do while I can't do what I thought I was created to do. I just started reaching organization. I could become speaker. If I could just use my platform at the time as a professional football player, and could I start to speak to you know high schools or colleges or these nonprofit organizations on different things that I cared about? And so that's how I kind of got introduced to my transition before I was completely forced into my transition. And and to be clear, you were fine physically. You recovered a hundred percent from. Right blow on the right. on the field so um and mentally you're fine your brain was okay and yes yeah you seem okay only when um, only when my my fiance tries to ask me to do something then I go oh babe sorry I forgot <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> so you were forced to kind of have a reckoning with yourself about who am I mm. what's my purpose here my purpose has always been to play football. I've always been a football player. That was who I was. That's my purpose. Now I can't be a football player anymore. Can I call myself a football player still? Right. Or, or you know, what do I call myself? How do I, how do I pivot and make myself feel part of this life that I'm here to live? Yeah, that's, I mean, if, and I think if we had that answer kind of like in a concise way, we'd probably be a lot richer and a lot more successful in helping people. Cause that's the number one question that I get asked is uh, we're in a very interesting time right now where the athletes, some athletes are finding out that they don't necessarily love playing the sports because of the pandemic. And some athletes are trying to figure out, well, how can I get to the next level if I didn't have a season? And so we're in a really unique space. And I think where I learned is my identity was wrapped up into something that was, it was finite. Like it was, it was a game that was going to come to an end. Like a hundred percent of athletes have to retire. It doesn't matter at what different level we play at. And someone out of your control, really. Oh, it's all the way. I mean, I, I think it's out of our control. There's, there's very few people who can walk away from the game because they got, you know, tired of it. The, the Peyton Mannings, the Tom Brady's, the, you know, the Andre Agassi's, like these are the, the, the Pete Sampras, like they can just walk away. Right. A lot of people because of injury and father time is undefeated that they're just forced to walk away. And so for me, because I had the injury and it was taken away from me, I feel like I tried to stretch it out a little bit longer. So I tried to come back the next season knowing well that I should, I had no business being on a football field. And so I had the neck injury again. And the doctor said, Thomas, do you want to play for a couple more years or do you want to walk for the rest of your life? And I said, uh, I would take the latter. 
And so at that point, it was about thinking about your future. What, what do you want to be known for? What are some other things that you want to accomplish? And first and foremost, I had to identify who am I? If, you know, just like you alluded to a little bit earlier, one of the things that I always said is that, oh, I'm not a football player. I'm just somebody who plays football. But the fact of the matter is, is that I only knew football. When people ask me what I like to do for fun, I said like, work out and watch film and like ice bath, like all of these things that had to do with football, right? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't have the eclectic, you know, broad verse in perspective of, of life as I do now. Like, I didn't understand about traveling. I didn't understand these things. So what I first had to do is I had to find out who I was and who I was was somebody who needed to get some help. And so I went to therapy for about five years because I noticed that there were so many emotional scars that I was hiding behind the mask of the football helmet. Um, so I grew up with, with primarily my mom. I had a stepdad and, and a man named Ron who raised me, um, but like ninth grade through 12th grade, I was, it was just my mom and I, and I noticed how many like daddy issues I had because my parents got divorced at a younger, when I was at a younger age. And so I had all of this like hate and all of this anger and rage towards my father, but I found it by playing football because football had football coaches. So that was kind of like a male, like a father figure. And I had teammates who were like my brothers. And so you and also actually, a great outlet for the rage, right? I that's mean, what I was going to say. You are rewarded for physical activity. I'll just put it that way nicely. <laughs> like you're, you know, you're applauded. They, they want you to hit harder, get up and do it again, get up and do it again. And so it was a great release for me. But what happens when all of the baggage that you've been carrying catches up to you and you don't have a release or an outlet anymore? And so I started seeing a therapist like I think I was going like twice a week. And I still see him to this day just for like mental maintenance and checking in and just seeing like, you know, a different perspective. But I had a lot of issues that I had to fix. And it wasn't until I was able to fix those things that I was able to say completely goodbye. Like I remember one session with my therapist, he said, I want you to write a letter to the NFL like it's a human being. And I was like, why, why are we doing this? And I won't bore you with the whole story. But at the end of it, he said, because... What we need to, what you're going to do is you're going to accept it and it's going to be a good buy. Like a good buy. It's not going to be a bad buy. Like no one waves and says bye, bad buy. They say goodbye. And so what does that really mean? And so I wrote this long letter thanking the NFL as though it was a person. And also I, I let them know my true feelings, how mad and upset and disappointed um, that I felt. But at the end of it, I said, thank you so much for everything that you've done. And, and thank you so much for setting me up for the life that I'm going to live. And I said, goodbye in all capital letters. And so at that moment, it allowed me to feel the grace. It allowed me to feel the appreciation and the acceptance because it wasn't until I was fully able to accept it. Um, I was never able to move on. And I noticed that even when I would watch the game of football, I'd have resentment or I would some of my friends who were still playing, I would hate on them for no reason. And it, it was just because I was, I was disappointed and I had some resentment myself. Sure. And so you had to make this large pivot. I mean, it's not just a teeny pivot like a lot of us have had to do during COVID. This was a major life change for you. And you created Game Changers. Yeah. So, that. yeah. So I have, um, there's, I wrote two books. And so the first book I wrote when I got done playing is Permission to Dream. It's for middle school and high school kids because every single athlete that I know, we go through so much. 
And when we go through these things, we feel almost like it's our obligation to share, to tell, to teach people. And so once I was able to write Permission to Dream, I was like, okay, I'm done writing books. And then two years later, the relentless pursuit of greatness comes. And I'm like, oh my goodness. I'm like, God, you got a funny way of, of telling jokes because I didn't even like writing papers in college or high school. And now I'm writing books. And so wrote The Relentless Pursuit of Greatness. And that one is specifically for athletes of how do you utilize your transferable skills, your uh, the college or the universities that you belong to, and how do you tap into the next phase of your life? And how can you transition before you transition, whether it's getting internships or networking, building resumes and things like that? Because it's something that only a few of us, I feel like, get exposed to while we're still diving into this sport and putting our whole entire souls and our being into, but not too many of us really take advantage of the universities. Like there's this thing right now where a lot of athletes feel like the universities and the NC2A are taking advantage of them. And I think it's when we shift our perspective and saying, well, we can also take advantage of them where I'll give you a perfect example. Each home game, we had 92,000 people who came to watch us I was in that crowd a lot of times. (laughs) That's right. You were throwing fight on. You were throwing your two fingers up. And you, you, you were one of those people. And I thought halfway through my career, so about my sophomore year, I was like, this is 92,000 people. And these are 92,000 opportunities we have. These are going to be people who can give us a job, who can sign our paycheck, who can give us an internship, who who we can network with, because we don't know who those 92,000 people know. And so from there, I started getting these different internships. And so the reason why I wrote these books is because there's a lot of information that I found out when I got done playing, but there's also a lot of useful information that I found out while I was playing. And so being able to talk to athletes, current athletes, from a perspective of, I've been there, I know it, you know, every athlete that I talk to, whether it's at a speaking engagement, whether it's a Zoom call, or whether it's you know teaching the class at USC that I teach, it's you are who I was and I am who you'll be, right? So you you guys are all in your prime. Like I used to look like that. I used to have muscles like that. <laughs> and then I, I look and I tell them, hey, you guys are gonna one day, you're you're gonna be, you're gonna be partners, you're gonna be fathers, you're gonna be parents, you're gonna be, you're gonna be something that you're not now. And so that's where the correlation comes in. And so um, you know, I teach from a perspective of I give athletes seventy percent of what they want. They all want the, you know, what's the, what's the most money you spent? What's the coolest car? Who is the most famous person you talk to? They all want to know that stuff. But then I give them thirty percent of what they don't know that they need yet about, you know, a taxes and financial literacy and time management and networking, how to develop relationships, how to um, get an internship. Why are they important? You know, little subtle things like that that I think a lot of athletes are overlooking um, because they're so involved in their sports. And so I'm kind of like the big brother that either they, they wish they had or they, that they never had. And I love that because one of the things that I've tried to reinforce about playing college sports is that opportunity to network and that college sports isn't just about the practices and the matches. It's about getting into your community, um, giving back to the kids in the community by doing clinics or, or doing um, pro-ams with some of the locals. It's about learning who the boosters are of the team and going up and shaking their hands and introducing yourself and talking to them about what they do and then thinking about how that might apply to what you might want to do once you're done in college. I mean, 
it's such an incredible opportunity. And, and we know there's, there's a lot of negative going on in the world of college sports right now, not just football, but, you know, I've been reporting on, on some pretty yucky stuff going on with college tennis as well. But underneath all of that is still this incredible opportunity to set yourself up for a future that is filled with success. It's filled with happiness. It's filled with hopefully, you know, a good career, a a good life partner, um, all the things that make a life great. Yeah. Yeah. There's, it's, it's very interesting you say that because we have, I think we're starting to shift in the year 2021. We're starting to shift at kind of measuring out a couple of different finish lines for us individually, where if you go back, when I, when I first got to college, it was, man, I want to graduate and go to the league where now I think a lot of student athletes were seeing that they have these, there's these social issues that are pressing on their hearts. And so they want to get involved with them so that when they're done with their careers in whatever sport it is, that they can kind of walk right into a job or a passion or a direction here. Because one of the hardest things is that you have a purpose every single day from the time you're five years old to the time you're 25, 35, and then you lose that purpose. And once we lose the purpose, then we feel like there's no reason to exist. We actually lose that drive for life. And I think that now we're starting to see today's you know, high school and college athlete is that there's passions outside of their sport. They love being on the court. They love being on the field. They love wearing the jersey. But when they take the jersey off, there's other things that they're interested in. I mean, I think uh, down in the SEC, there's a couple of different programs that are starting to have like real STEM programs, STEAM now, it's S-T-E-A-M programs that are now starting to be involved in universities because, wow, it's not just about throwing a football, dribbling a basketball, hitting a tennis ball, hitting a golf ball. We need to make sure that we're supporting you all the way around in the totality of who you are. And I think it's one of the coolest things now is because of exposure and how readily available it is and and information. Athletes are thinking, I would like to do that. I want want to see what that's like. And so the curiosity is starting to get there. One of the cool things that we're doing at USC is that we're, we're taking our student athletes through, it's called the Microscope Telescope Project. And so we take them through the telescope. Okay, where are you going to be in five years? This is in your telescope. Okay, so what are the action steps? What are the zoom focus steps that you need to take in order to get there? And they're starting to process. Some of them are first-gen college students. They're like, I'm here to get a piece of paper and get a job. And it's like, all right, but what else? And so once we keep going down the rabbit hole of what else – we're finding out that athletes want to be entrepreneurs. There's athletes who want to get into kinesiology because they want to get into physical therapy. There's so many other life passions outside of just playing their sports that their minds are starting to be expanded. And I think that that's one of the really cool things that we have to look forward to as you know, mentors, teachers, and educators, You know, people like you and I, because there's athletes who are so interested and curious about what else is there out there. And we're starting to see more and more professional athletes. And, you know, I can't, I'm, I'm really ignorant when it comes to anything other than tennis. So pardon that ignorance, but in the tennis world, we've got 
Naomi Osaka speaking right. out, you know, constantly about the Black Lives Matter movement. Right. Coco Goff also has been very vocal. We've seen Andy Murray speaking out against violence against women, mm. and he's been very vocal about that and, you know, has gone so far as to have a female coach, which he was one of the first athletes on the ATP tour to, to employ a female coach. Yeah. And, you know, so we're seeing our athletes start to speak up, start to show their passion for things other than hitting the fuzzy yellow ball. Yeah. And I think it's a tremendous opportunity. You know, social awareness is all around us right now. COVID has amplified it. Certainly what has been happening with police violence in the U.S. has amplified it. And we see these opportunities to get involved and make a difference. And I love that younger and younger athletes are starting to take up the cause and starting to recognize that, hey, I can use my platform as a tennis player, as a football player, to impact other people, to make a difference, to speak out, to raise money, to support causes. Um, all of these things are really positives that have come out of some pretty really awful, I won't say pretty awful, really awful things that are happening in the world. Yeah. And, and, you know, you bring up an interesting point about legacy. You know, I think there's, there's not just the athletes who think about legacy of, I need to become in the hall of fame or I need to win a grand slam, or I need to win this many tournaments, this many Super Bowls, this many championships to have a legacy. I think people are now starting to wake up to the idea of we're all creating our legacy every day, every single day, all of us are creating a legacy. And so it's, when that jersey comes off and when the racket, you put the racket and the golf clubs down or whatever you're, you do and that you love to do, when you put that down, your legacy will still continue. Now, you might not hit, hit a tennis ball. You might not score another touchdown. But your legacy starts as an athlete, but it will continue for the rest of your lives. And when we do a good enough job, we'll be remembered not necessarily for the amount of games that we won, the matches that we won or championships – but it's about the effect that we had on mankind. And that's something that like my mom taught me at a very young age where um, I was, I was getting ready to leave to go off to college and I was 18 and she was starting to have kind of like these real life conversations about, okay, make sure you make sure you don't leave your money out, you know, everywhere you go and, 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 you know, brush your teeth and change your underwear every day. Like she was having these conversations when I was leaving and she said, and I want you to remember this that no matter how much money you make playing this game, never forget that it's about how you affect human mankind. And I, and I just never f forgot that. And just remembering that it didn't matter how high or, or, or where in the world football took me, it was about where I'm supposed to you know, affect the rest of society because I was affected by society. And I think that that's such a cool thing is that a lot of these athletes are understanding that I was the little girl who used to, you know, take my racket to the court and I would just bounce the tennis ball up and down. And there was this older, you know, high school champion that just showed me a couple things or I was the younger high school in a college. And it's like we're supposed to we're supposed to pass it down. I don't necessarily like the whole thing, of like pay it forward. But I think we're supposed to pass it down because it is all about each one teacher one. And when we can have that mindset, then we're obviously we're helping the younger us because someone helped us. And then we're also 
again, like that legacy thing. I think I think right now is more of a time where people are really building in conscious conscientious about the legacy that they're leaving. Right. And I think, you know, one of the things that you exemplify so well, Thomas, is this notion of sport is a classroom. We yeah. go into sport, we learn lessons that help us, yes, play the game better, but also help us be better human beings, help us contribute to humankind, as you said. What are some of the very specific lessons that you feel you've taken from your time in football that are now serving you well into your non-football adulthood? Yeah. Um, and so the the notion about transferable skills, which for some strange reason, we don't feel like we're adequate or competent enough when we transition from sports into life after sports, because it's not something that necessarily you can put on a resume and say, I made this many tackles or I had this many aces in a game or, or anything like that. But I would say the more time I've spent around non-athletes and allowing them to see me, the, the whole entire me, I think they start to affirm me and they started to tell me about some things that they don't naturally do. And so I remember one of the things where I was – I was having a conversation with somebody and they said, Thomas, it seems like the, when everyone else gets tired, you keep going. Like you almost have this second wind of energy where you start to sense that like, okay, the motion and everything starting to shift. And I thought to myself, well, yeah, doesn't everybody, like when you start to see your opponent getting tired or, or run down and restless, like you kind of kick it into another gear. And now where does that help is that it helps as being an entrepreneur. So I understand that, you know, uh, you know, you kind of only eat what you kill, so to speak. And so you have to make those phone calls. You have to, you know, stay connected with your relationships and your network and you have to stay constantly involving. And so for me is when I talk to other entrepreneurs or people in my space or industry, you can start to hear where they're starting to get tired. They're starting to get tired because, you know, they heard the hundredth no on the phone call or they were, they didn't get responded to on an email or they were supposed to have an event or a deal was supposed to go through and it kind of just fell through the wayside. And so in me, I'd kind of transition back into my old days of when my opponent gets tired, what do I do? Oh, I get a second burst and I get even more excited because I start to know that this is the separation and divide segment. I think another part of it is when you don't feel like in, in, in sports and football, I never had a day off. Like you, you, you never really have a day off. You have an off season, but in the off season, you're still training. You're still doing something conscious constantly. And so now I don't necessarily take days off. And so it's not like, I'm just going to sleep in and I'm just going to wake up kind of like whenever my eyes open up, there's always an intention. I feel like life is a gift. And if God's going to continue to bless me with another opportunity today, then I might as well take advantage of all of the hours that I get. And so it's the same thing when I played football. You don't know how many plays you're going to play this game or this practice. So like my coach Norton used to always say, don't count your reps. You've got to make your reps count. And so it's the same thing of, 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 of life. And it's, um, there's just a lot of similarities where as athletes, we feel like this can only apply to sports. But once you get into life, you're like, I've made it through that. We're, we went through a tough time. We're, we're going through a tough time in this pandemic and people are being, you know, forced to stay at home. And, and you don't, I don't necessarily like it because I'm a social butterfly and I'm a people person. But at the same time, 
I, it was kind of like training camp where you're, you're in a dorm room for, you know, you leave, you go practice and you go back to your dorm room, you leave, you go practice, you go back to your dorm room. And so it's kind of like the groundhog day over and over and over. And so if you've been there before, you've prepared and trained in that environment through that circumstance, then that is proof and evidence that you can get through and that you'll make it to the other side. It's kind of that muscle memory thing, Uh, right? You know, you've you've done it so many times in the name of sport. Now the sport piece is gone, but it's the same situation. It's, you know, I'm, I'm feeling a little burnout. Um, You know, I don't feel like I really have the energy to tackle this today. Oh yeah. But if I let myself sink into that burned out feeling, somebody else is going to step up and take my spot. So want my spot if I want to hang on to whether it's my job whether for me it's it's my position in social media or you know my google you know how do I show up on google you know every day has to count toward that and if you slack off somebody else is going to step in and take your spot that's a lesson that we learn through playing sport through training for sport that carries over into our lives and I think you know, it's, it's good to hear what you're saying. And it's important also to recognize that sometimes you do get kind of sucked into that feeling of burnout and do need that mental break or that physical break or both. And it's okay to take that, you know, and I, I, I don't want to kind of skim past that lesson too, because I think it's an equally important takeaway from this conversation, Thomas, that, Burnout is a thing. Um, Exhaustion is a thing, physical and mental. And you have to respect that in your body, in your brain and acknowledge it and address it. And only then can you move through it. Right. So and and I love how you because I was going to say something and you came right back to it. So for me, (laughs) thank you. Thank you. I mean, that was that was beautifully. (laughs) Yeah. And it was beautifully said because you're absolutely right. One of the things that I think, again, and we're talking about burnout, we're talking about learning things in sports and bringing it and applying it to life is that there was always a teammate that I would I would focus on and I would have this little packed with. And I would say, Hey, on days that I don't feel like it, you have to feel like it. And on days you don't feel like it, I will feel like it. So we almost switched off days where we'd walk in and we, let's say I had Monday, Wednesday, Friday, that was my day to be on. I had to be motivated. I had to be inspired. I had to be, you know, upbeat. So on those days, my teammate would come in and he'd say, I don't feel like it. And I would be, you know, I would almost psych us both out and say, Oh no, today's the day you're going to make the best plays of your life. Today's the day you're going to have the best practice of your life. Today's the day that you're just one play away from going from second string to first string. I mean, this is the day that you're going to have a hall of fame practice. And then we would switch off because you're absolutely right. You can't go a hundred miles an hour for 365 days and expect and not expect to get burnt out. Like you have to be extremely cognizant of that. And so what did that do in life now is like, Now I tell all the athletes I work with, be very conscious of who you're around. Because if you're around 10 people who are Debbie Downers, who are negative, you know, people, then you're probably going to become the 11th. And so we created the same environment inside our house. My fiance and I, we have the same mindset of, hey, I don't feel like it today. Okay, great. Then I will carry it. I will carry it. The same thing, then we'll switch. I don't feel like it today. Then she will carry us. She'll bring the energy. It will be 
music. It will be good food. It will be good TV shows. And then so now we're collectively collaborating on the energy because, again, I think the quote says uh, pain, when you have two people or more, it says pain is shared and joy is doubled. And so you kind of get the opportunity to bounce off of one another. And so you, you, you definitely have to be cognizant of it and still doing things because when we sit still and stay stagnant in isolation, then that's when we kind of stay in that, well, it's been, it's been a week and I've been burnt out. It's been a month and I've been burnt out. And then we can find ourselves in a place where we're not operating as our best self. And so as long as we can get out of our, our normal space and that we can move around, whatever that means, whatever that means for us, then I've noticed that for me, I've felt a lot better. Like the, the quote of motion is the body's lotion. Like you just got to keep, you got to do something. Like I love working out. And so for me, if I can get a good workout in, and it doesn't have to be the top workout that I'm getting ready for a Super Bowl or getting ready to go into training camp, it's just a workout. It could be a bike ride. I mean, you know, living in Southern California, we're lucky enough to have nice weather year round. And so getting on the, getting on the boardwalk and just riding the bike, you know, 10 miles and it's not at a pace, no one's timing us, but then you come home, you're like, I needed that. Yeah. It's not just a physical release. It's a mental release. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So your work with younger athletes now, what does your day-to-day look like? Are you doing Zoom meetings? Are you doing Zoom presentations to university students? What What's the day yeah. look like for, so for top players? Yeah, so the day, the day, so I was on the road last year, well, not last year, the year before last, anywhere from 30 to 50 times a year and doing speaking engagements all throughout the country. And so once the pandemic hit, shifted and pivoted, um, in a ways to how can I get the same amount of content? How can I make the same kind of impact that I was making before? And so for me, my goal this year is to be on 52 different podcasts. Thank you, Lisa, for helping me get one of those. To, to uh, help, helping me uh, get that because I look at these as an opportunity, just like I did as a speaking engagement, to connect with an audience, to share a message, and to leave people a little bit better. Um, than, than when we found them. And so that's part of it. Another part of it is right now I have a program called Greater Than Your Jersey that's being in partnership with NCSA. And so we have a six-week partnership where through six weeks it will be a different subject. And so it's a webinar. And so these are high school student athletes who are extremely um, highly skilled in their sport, but not necessarily just focused on playing sports. They want to evolve and get better mentally and emotionally as well. So we take them through identity. We take them through the transferable skills, the transition that they're going to experience. And these are the two favorite subjects I love talking about, which is the failure syndrome, which everybody thinks that the failure syndrome is uh, a period as opposed to a comma. They're not looking at it holistically. And so helping the student athletes see, uh, open up their perspective of this didn't happen to you, it happened for you, that that mindset. And then also to how to gain and get more confidence. Like confidence is a skill which is like a muscle, which means if you don't use it, then you lose it. If you use more of it, then you'll gain it. And so we help them through those um, scenarios. And then on, so that's every Tuesday night. And then Thursday night I teach at USC. And then I'm trying to do anywhere from two to three podcasts a week, 
And then um, another part of my day is being a dad, which uh, I have a nine month baby girl Aww. who's uh, now starting to talk when she Your face like just totally changed when yeah. you started talking about her. I just want to tell you that your yeah. eyes and your face completely shifted you can tell when I'm you a girl mentioned dad. your daughter. You can tell I'm a girl dad, all the way girl dad. And so uh, I love it. she's starting to crawl and, and all that. And then also uh, spending time with my fiance. And so kind of getting the preparations for a wedding. And it seems like, what do you do? It's like, you asked me that question. I'm like, I got to kind of go, what don't I do? What, what <laughs> doesn't my day look like? Because I mean, having a little one and then um, being having the opportunity to connect over Zooms, you can do two and three in a day. Like, um, you know, I'm still speaking to the corporate world and still in that circuit. So like tomorrow I have a speaking engagement and um, it's, a, it's a lot, but I, I would tell you right now that I'm fulfilled and I'm purpose driven. This is this since since playing football. This is the first time in probably nine years that I have been dialed in to my purpose, um, and I feel like I'm fulfilled. And all of me is coming to wherever I am. Like I'm I'm totally present. What do you think caused that shift for you? Isolation. So last year, um, in in 2019, December 31st, 2019 was my last social media post. So I have social media, but that was my last post. And I was feeling torn because I felt like I was more on a social media platform than I was in real life. I felt like who people thought I was was more than who I actually was. And it's almost like the reverse of imposter syndrome. Like it was it was strange. And so I just I prayed about it and God was like, take some time off. And so I took all of last year and and, and you know this year so far off to get clear in who I am. Because I, I found out that what social media did for me, and this is just me personally, is social media created a false narrative that doesn't exist, that everyone's always judging me. Everyone cares what you write. Everyone is worried about your misspelling in your post. Everybody is worried that you wore that shirt last Tuesday's post and you're wearing it to Thursday dinner. There was just all of this narrative that was mm. happening in my mind that wasn't part of my reality. And for me, I'm a very uh, confident person. One, I'm an only child, and I'm my mom's favorite kid. Uh, Easy to do that. <laughs> yep, love it. So, I mean, but I noticed that there was some insecurities that social media was starting to have on my And so I put it away for that. And then the second thing is I put it away for is because I said, I asked myself the question, am I doing it for the, and I say, do I do it for the gram or am I doing it for the grind? Like, if this is what I'm really passionate about doing. And I said, until... Until I feel like I'm doing it for the grind, then I'm not getting back on social media. So I think that was it was it was that shift. It was getting engaged and it was becoming a father where I got two women in my life who think I'm the world. And it's my daughter and it's my fiance. And so I really don't care what the rest of the world thinks about me as far as if I'm a hero, if I'm a mid-level or if I'm a loser. I don't care. And I think having that confidence, I got back to what I really used to be like when I played sports because I didn't care. I wasn't a starter. I literally started 14 games in five years and I ended up getting drafted. Like I didn't care. I didn't care if I needed to, to play special teams, which is something that no one wants to do. No one is excited about special teams, but I was. And I said, I'm going to do whatever it takes. And I actually got the affirmation when I got to New England and I was playing with the uh, Patriots, a guy told me one day, he said, Thomas, you're either going to be a wit or you're going to be a wham. 
I was like, a wit or a wham? What is that? <laughs> yeah, what is that? He said, a W-I-T, whatever it takes. And a wham is a W-A-M. What about me's? Mm-hmm. You can't win with what about me's, but you can win with W-I-T's. And like from that day forward, it's like, well, whatever it takes. And so for me, like I said, I have I have these two amazing women who I'm responsible for, who God has given me the gift of, of being responsible for. Um, and they think the world of me. And so for whatever the world thinks about me, the old me used to care what the world thought of me, but now I look every day and I go, Bradley, am I your superhero? And she, of course, says yes. Well, at least I think she's saying yes. And then, uh, of course, she is. <laughs> and then I asked my fiance, you know, I want to make you proud like every single day. Like, that's my man. And so having that understanding of, you know, where my value comes from now, as opposed to needing to wear a helmet, a jersey, some cleats. Um, and having all the value placed in that. I love that. And it's a great message for young athletes in any sport to hear. You are more than your sport. You are more than your jersey. You are more than your racket sponsorship. You are more than your latest tournament win. You are more than your latest tournament loss. Mm. You are a complete human being that part of is the athlete piece, but that's only a sliver, right? And it's only for a finite period of time in your life. There's this whole rest of you and this whole rest of your life to fill up with other stuff. And that Mm. other stuff can be giving back to your community, being a parent, being a partner, being a valuable employee, being a, a respected boss. Um, you know, being a mentor, being a teacher. I mean, there, there's so many different ways to fill up the bucket of who you are that go way beyond playing a sport. And the, the lessons that you learn from playing your sport can lead you to these other things. So it's really important to keep your mind open and, and your eyes open to today I learned a lesson. Okay. Let me just tuck that away because someday in the future, that lesson is going to come in handy yes. and, and being able to tap into that, which seems to me just, this is the first time you and I've met, but I'm hoping that it's the first of many times we're going to meet. Um, it seems to me that you have, have figured that out really well and have figured out a way to communicate that to everybody that you come in contact with. So congratulations for that. I, I appreciate it. It took me some time and um, I did. I, I thought about it in this way that at the time I left the NFL, it was a 13 billion with a B dollar a year entity. And I thought if I was part of it, now I wasn't a top player and, and people didn't, you know, buy my jersey like that. But I thought if I could be a part of that, a 13 billion dollar a year entity, on my own, I could do pretty well for myself. Mm -hmm. If I stayed in this for five years and I competed at the highest level, and I think that with tennis, and I've only spent a little bit of time down at uh, IMG, down in Bradenton, and like listening to these young, phenomenal tennis players and communicating with them and seeing what they go through and the competition level of, you gotta make it to the top 15 in the world to be considered, like blows my mind. And thinking about that grind And that determination and that climbing of the mountain and the hill, if you can make it through that, you can literally make it through anything in the world. Because on any given time, you know, where it's just millimeters and fractions of inches that separate in and out, 
where if you can focus like that for that long playing a sport, then you'll be perfectly fine life after sports if you take the same mindset, right? And now the thing that I, I, I want to make sure that we, we illustrate this example to all the athletes out there is that here's the biggest difference is that when you're, when you're playing, there's always a finite amount of time. Like there's for football, we had four quarters, 16 games, and then you have a season. So everything has to be done. It's like, hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait, do as much as you can, do as much as you can, do as much as you can. And then when you get out of sports, the sense of urgency has changed. Mm -hmm. We have to wait for the process. So two things that I had to learn when I got done playing is that you have to prepare for the opportunity and the opportunity has to be prepared, prepared for you. Because if one of those is before the other, it won't work. If you don't, if you don't properly prepare for an opportunity and then it's not provided, then it doesn't matter if you're prepared for it or not. Now in sports, you have to be pre prepared because it's just kind of like a carousel. It's just going to keep going around and around and around sure. and you have to be ready for it. Like, but it's actually more advantageous for us to be prepared for the process of it on this side of sports than actually trying to hurry up and just, I need to perform. I need to perform because I, I teach this super simple, super easy philosophy is that when you're done playing, well, when you're playing life happens in three ways. So you're preparing. So that's in like meetings, watching film, you're on practice or you're performing. And the same thing is when we're done playing, we have to take it, but we skip it. We, we didn't skip it when we played, but for some reason we feel like we can just prepare and then perform. Or sometimes mm -hmm. we feel like we don't need to prepare. We could just practice and then we can perform. But the greats do all three really well is that they prepare for something, they practice for it, and then it's just easy because then natural body takes over and then they can perform it. Um, and so I noticed that with having those same things that carry over, like it's kind of like a no-brainer for success in life too. I love it. Thomas, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It is a pure pleasure to meet you. And like I said, I hope this is the first of many meetings. If the Parenting Aces audience wants to find out more about you or get in touch with you for to do a, a presentation or wants to sit in a class or one yeah. of your webinars, what's the best way for them to contact you? Uh, the best way to contact me is through the website, which is www.thomasrwilliams.com. And, um, they can find me there. And so we can, we can discuss, you know, some things that are helpful for young student athletes and it's not necessarily on the physical side, but more on the mental and emotional side. Um, and so, yeah, come say hello. I would love to, uh, to keep in touch and to converse. Fantastic. And for all of you watching and or listening, if you go to parentingaces.com to the show notes, we will have not only links to Thomas's website, but also links to his books. And you'll be able to just click and go and get those very simply. Uh, Thomas, I again, thank you for making us one of your, was it, did you say 52 podcasts one, this year? One of 52. Thank you one for 52. allowing me to be on your podcast and the platform and being able to talk with the Parenting Aces. This is, this has been phenomenal and great luck to you and continue to inspire because right now I know that every athlete can benefit from listening to your podcast and same thing with their parents. Thank you so much. To those of you tuning in, thank you so much. And we will catch you next time on Parenting Aces.
I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast for tennis parents by a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at parentingaces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community.